Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Now, nonstop sports talk continues with news and analysis from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. Not the hero. We deserve to be the hero. We need him. This is the Big Six. It's going to be you. With your host, Jason Martin. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I am Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Our telephone number six one five seven three seven one zero four five. That's seven three seven one zero four five. If you want to join the program here tonight, and I tell you off the top, just about every show, unless I forget, that I'm not going to waste your time. This is episode number twenty six of the Big Six. Thank you for joining our movement. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here on one zero four five The Zone. Thank you for all the kind words coming to me via Twitter. Via email, you can always hit me, jmartclone at gmail.com. Again, you can tweet me at jmartzone. I wrote yesterday about the Maryland situation with DJ Durkin and the strength and conditioning coach Rick Court and the university itself and, of course, the death, the tragic death of 19-year-old Jordan McNair. And the reason I chose to write about it was not to go after DJ Durkin or go after Maryland in particular in terms of their football program. First off, I actually think that the university statement that they made yesterday was about as good and surprising as you'll ever hear. Taking responsibility for the death of this 19-year-old lineman who had a heat stroke. Now, it came only after ESPN's report that was very in-depth from multiple sources, anonymous sources, which I know hurts Will Muschamp, but we'll get there here in just a second. But I thought that they did take as much ownership as you could. And interim coach Matt Canada said after his first practice, I believe it was earlier today, he said, look, health and safety, making sure these kids are okay is our number one concern. We're still having tough practices. We're focused. We're driven, getting ready for the season. But we're also paying attention to these concerns. But I didn't write just to recite the facts. I didn't write to say what everybody else has said over and over again. I wrote because I felt in some way saddened for the wrong reason surrounding the death of Jordan McNair. A reason that should not exist and a reason that I feel responsible for and culpable for. And I feel like most of you might as well after you hear me lay this out to you. I'm going to do a thought exercise, and if you read my piece at the Big Six blog, which you can read all of my stuff at 1045thezone.com slash Big Six blog, I put a thought exercise out there, and I said, if I were to tell you to draw the image of a college football coach 
and look, I can't draw, but that's not the point here. Pretend you can draw. And you're going to sit down in front of a blank sheet of paper, and I'm going to say, draw a college football coach. What would that image look like? It wouldn't be a guy on the sidelines grinning, drinking a milkshake, you know, arms akimbo, happy-go-lucky, enjoying his life. If I just said, draw what you think of when I first say college football coach, what are you going to draw? You're probably going to draw somebody that looks beyond angry, almost unhinged, eyes squinted together, ready to yell or yelling, probably yelling, mouth wide open, probably pointing at someone, taking off a headset or a clipboard or whatever might be in their hands, slamming it on the ground. Maybe you'd try to draw a player in that picture as well, being browbeaten or blessed out. The problem that I have with this Maryland story is that when I first read the ESPN report, I was not taken aback and I did not recoil in horror because unfortunately in America, this has become commonplace for what we expect from college football coaches. We just assume that college football players, college basketball players, I mean, think about Bob Knight. And you, when's the last time you saw Coach K smile? Not that he's some kind of, you know, raging jerk or anything like that, but he yells at officials. Frank Martin, you know, there's, there's a number of different examples. And there are also exclusions to those rules, guys, that I think you might want to play for. The David Shaws of the world. I believe Dabo Swinney. But again, we don't know these guys. But it seems like we've just accepted the fact that college athletes in particular are just going to get treated like animals. Just totally like animals. They're not being paid, but that's not really the argument here. You can call up and talk about scholarships all you want. I don't. That's not really the debate. The debate is that we just assume that in most college football programs in this country, guys are being regularly cursed at, they're probably regularly being hazed or humiliated or embarrassed or demeaned in whatever way. Because again, going back to the illustration of the college football coach, the mental exercise that I just had you run through, we assume that these coaches are jerks. We assume these coaches are jack wagons. So when I read the story, it's not that I shrugged my shoulders but I did not react in the way that we should react when things like this are brought to light. I felt awful, obviously, for the death of Jordan McNair, a 19-year-old lineman. And it's sad that I even say he's a 19-year-old lineman. What he is is a 19-year-old human being. He was a 19-year-old son. He was a 19-year-old family member, a 19-year-old cousin, maybe a 19-year-old brother. Those are the things that matter. Yet I talk about his position as a football player first. But college football coaches and what we expect of them seems to be so different than what we expect in virtually any other arena in the world, any other career, maybe outside of the military. 
But if you were to do the kinds of things that college football coaches regularly do when we hear these stories, when they do finally come out, those people would be fired, HR would be involved, all of these things. But because it's college football, because it's a man's sport, because it's masculine, this, that, and the other, we just assume that these college football coaches are going to treat these guys like animals. And I honestly think that the players themselves, in large part, expect and anticipate that they're going to be treated like animals. And when they talk to their friends at other schools, then their friends are going to say, yeah, well, let me tell you what's going on here. And it's just horror stories being sent backwards and forwards. So what happened to Jordan McNair, as sad as it was, led me to think how awful. But then I stopped to think, maybe how awful doesn't start with DJ Durkin. Maybe it does not start with Jordan McNair. Maybe it does not start with Urban Meyer and Zach Smith and whatever happened or didn't happen with his ex-wife, Courtney. Maybe it does not start with Joe Paterno and Jerry Sandusky and what happened at Penn State. Maybe it doesn't start with Art Bryles and what took place at Baylor. Maybe it's none of those incidents. Maybe how awful really begins with me. Maybe how awful really begins with you. Maybe it begins with all of us that watch sports and assume that this is okay. And then when we read the stories, we don't just lose our minds. Now, we might sit around a table with our families or friends or colleagues and say, boy, what a terrible story out of Maryland. But if we're honest in our heads, we're not blown away by this story other than the fact that someone died. And many times, this story has been mentioned without talking about Jordan McNair at all. But for me, I've I've become complacent over the years in how I look at the guys making millions and millions of dollars on these sidelines. I've mentioned this before, and I mentioned it in the wake of the Urban Meyer situation. There are far too many states in this union, in this republic, where the college football coach at the major university is the most powerful man in that state and the most famous man in that state. Nick Saban at Alabama. I would say you could probably say Urban Meyer in the state of Ohio, well above Governor John Kasich. And the list goes on and on and on. They don't have to answer to anybody, seemingly, ever. One of the suggestions to the Maryland thing was, okay, We definitely need a third-party independent observer at all of these practices that basically reports on all of this and just puts a kibosh on it if it gets out of control. But what is the third-party observer going to do in a small community where the college football coach is lauded as if he's some kind of deity or demigod? demigod? Think about Will Muschamp and what he said on Friday about DJ Durkin, his friend. He talked about him being a great father and a great husband. Look, that might be true. There's also stories from former classmates about him being a bully dating back to his days in college, not even as a coach, when he was just a student in college. But Will Muschamp decided not to go after the message. He went after the messengers, went after anybody that would not put their name behind what they said about the Maryland situation. Anonymous sources, which he calls garbage, called the staffer gutless, that didn't put his name behind it. And I read a description of anonymous sources that I had never seen before. And I don't remember where I saw it. 
and I've extrapolated from it something that I want to impart to you before we take our first break. And I see we've got Ricky and Alex on the line. Hang with us. We will get to you. 615-737-1045. But the reason anonymous sources have to exist, Coach Muschamp, is because of people like you. And the reason that people like you, powerful men, powerful women, the reason that you despise and try to vilify anonymous tipsters or sources is because you can't then put a name on a target and then you have no way to enforce retribution against the wind, basically. There's no name for you to go after. Staying anonymous gives them a chance to actually tell their stories. Yes, there have been anonymous sources that have turned out to be garbage. There have also been anonymous sources that have been responsible for some of the biggest reveals in politics and world affairs and sports and entertainment and everywhere else because it's the only way to do it. That's the whole point of protecting your sources. So Will Muschamp goes after that, and he's like, put your name behind it. Why, in, why on earth would I put my name behind that if I actually am worried about the temperament of a bully like DJ Durkin in Maryland. And if Will Muschamp believes it this sternly about what a great football coach Durkin is and what a great man he is and how he runs his program, then as I sort of flippantly mentioned a couple of days ago on this very radio program, what's happening in South Carolina? And that gets us right back to this culture argument. Again, I think this starts with us. I think it starts with us being complacent and accepting things that should never have been okay and handing college football coaches this much power. We will take your phone calls next. 615-737-1045. I see we got three on the line. We will lead off with you guys. I will continue down this pathway because I am not done at all in terms of taking responsibility myself and pledging to look at college athletics going forward and athletics as a whole and treatment as a whole through a different lens. This is a big six on 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back, big six, 104.5 The Zone, Japan Droids. If you haven't heard of this band, check them out. I'm Jason Martin, on, um, and I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. 615-737-1045 to join the program. We're talking about this Maryland situation, which is terrible on a number of different levels. But I think it once again illustrates a problem that we've all started to see. Nobody wants to see how the sausage is made. When that field trip comes up, we don't need our parents to sign that permission slip. We don't want to see that because we can then still gorge on it and not have to deal with all of the knowledge. Ignorance can truly be bliss. And I think that we've kind of gone there when it comes to college football coaches in particular, who we have basically deified. And what we didn't realize, maybe in the moment, but should have, is that power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Lord Acton. It's a cynical way to look at life in some ways to think that great men are often terrible men. But history proves it true in many respects. Now, just because you get power doesn't mean that you can't do wonderful things and can't be the exception to the rule. 
But in general, when we think of college football coaches, we don't think of well-adjusted people. We think of Butch Jones being beat red on the sideline. Or we think of Will Muschamp, who I mentioned a lot there in that first segment here on the Big Six tonight, going off on some kid or going off on some official. Or we think of Frank Martin and his antics on the sidelines at Kansas State and now at South Carolina. Or we think of Bob Knight throwing a chair across a floor. It seems like we've just come to be okay with it. We just accept it as part of the sports culture. Yeah, college football coaches and college basketball coaches, they're just, they're just jack wagons. That's just kind of the way it is. The guys are going to get treated bad. Some of them might end up crying. Some of them are probably going to transfer. Some of them are probably going to you know, have their minds destroyed in some ways. Self-esteem, uh, self-esteem shattered. But it's okay because this is college football. It's a man sport, right? Let's take some phone calls. Ricky in West End joins us first tonight on the Big Six. Ricky, what say you? Hey, Jason. So there's parts where we agree, and I think you're spot on. But there's a part that I think is being missed that is even more negative towards the fans and how we have negatively infected the game. And when we think of this kid who tragically passed away, and you look at what he ended up actually doing that day and what caused this terrible incident, from a workout standpoint, it doesn't even sound that bad. He barely ran a half a mile. And he had a catastrophic event that took his life. And what we have normalized in the last 20 years is that it's okay for an 18, 19-year-old to be 325 pounds. And that that just makes him a better ball player. Who cares if that's going to affect him negatively for the rest of his life? But he's a good ball player because he's 325 pounds and he can stop an end coming around and delay the end because the end has to go around him. And I think as fans we have created this idea in our heads that is justified. And this kid died because of it. We literally make these high school, college, and then even pros. We feed them like pigs for the slaughter. And then we're surprised when they die. And it's a shocking truth when you think about it. And you think of a lineman in 1980s, they're probably 270 pounds. Add 50 pounds in that, and that's some, a lot of your high school age kids now. So when did that become normal? When did that become okay for these kids to be this large? Why do they need to be this large? Why does it make it better for the game? Does it take away the technique? Does it take away the more precise nature of the game and makes it easier just because they're bigger? And that's kind of where I'm at now looking at this and thinking about this kid who probably, no matter what the trainers did, was probably going to die that day. And it's unfortunate because it, it doesn't need to happen. We don't need... 18, 19-year-olds to be 325 pounds. And that's my call. Thank you. Ricky, that's very well said. And it's a fair point as well. As somebody that battled weight pretty much my entire life, I know the difference between what I used to be and what I am now in terms of energy, in terms of health, in terms of stamina, in terms of what I can tolerate now. All of those things. I think this is larger than just the McNair situation in that what you said could be 1 million percent true. It was. It was two 110-yard sprints in extreme heat, and they weren't really monitoring him uh, very closely, I would say. But in general, it's the rest of the article that's gotten Durkin in all of the hot water as well. The humiliation, the smacking trays out of guys' hands, 
the making obese players gorge on candy bars while made to watch everybody else on the team work out, guys forced to eat until they vomit, all of those kinds of things. Those are portions of a toxic culture. But again, when I read it, it just did not make me react the way something like that should have because it felt almost commonplace for what I assume probably happens on a lot of college football teams from day to day. And that's sad. And it's sad on my part that I've sat back and thought that that was okay, or at least turned a blind eye to it and just continued to watch college football and let these guys go out there and entertain me. No matter what they've been put through and assume that they're being put through this stuff. One of the things I mentioned in my article at the Big Six blog at 1045thezone.com was, look, I watched the Junction Boys just like all of you did back in 2002 with Tom Berenger playing Bear Bryant back when he was at A&M. And that was based on a book that had come out the year before. And that basic crux of that story was how tough it was, at least the film version, was how tough it was to play for Bear Bryant and what he put you through before games ever started with his practices and the way he would yell at kids and the way he would treat them. And when I saw that, I was just like, man, that's a little bit harsh. But that was it. That was it. I have no idea what's happening in every college football program in this country. And I'm sure that a lot of them are probably run well. But any ones when these stories come out, especially about culture within the team, not the crime stuff, that, that changes the game completely. But when it comes to the stuff that's happening within practice and within the team and within what's in control of a college football coach, the way he deals with the young men, none of it makes me bat an eye anymore. And to me, that is where we are responsible. And that's where we need to actually stand up and say, you know what, that wasn't okay. Yet for some reason, we stayed silent no longer. It's time to actually tell these college football coaches that have all this power that they are going to be told no at some point in their life. And they're actually going to have to listen to it. And it's easy for me to say that. I don't know if we can execute it or not. But I know in my own heart, I need to see a change in myself in the paradigm that I view college sports in particular with. Alex in Nashville next on the Big Six. Alex, how are you? Uh, well, Jamar, hey, appreciate you um, making yourself vulnerable for this topic because this is something that definitely needs to be addressed. I agree with your point, but the reasoning I disagree with. Okay. This whole thing comes down, it all comes down to one thing. It's not power. Everybody wants to attack power. Urban covered it up because he didn't think he was untouched because he thought he was untouchable. Durkin did this because he thought he was untouchable. You know, whatever. By the way, every coach at every single program has – something that's probably questionable that they do and it's not a power trip it's because the immense pressure that is put on these guys to win win big and win now is huge and it's all about money they make money because they win and you know does Durkin treat these guys terrible because it's football and that's part of the business I don't think it's that I think it's that's his way of getting them ready to win games, to win at Maryland like nobody's done so he could probably go get a bigger job. It comes down to the money. And as soon as the pressure is taken off of these guys to 
you know, win or, or they'll lose their jobs, this stuff's not going to stop. And for people to believe it will because there's microphones everywhere and there's, you know, everything's getting watched, they're just wrong, unfortunately, because half these guys that get these four, five, six-year contracts, they don't get to see their contract before they have an entire team of players they recruited because they didn't win enough. It takes five years, if you include the red shirt, to get a complete 90-something, 120-something player roster of players that that head coach recruited. Five years. And most of these guys don't get five years to win the way they need to win. So, And I'm not justifying what they do, but unfortunately they time and time again make questionable, immoral decisions so they can keep a job and maybe even keep that power. But, you know, these guys make $5 million, $8 million a year. They're going to do what it takes to keep that money. And unfortunately, you, these young, impressionable 18 to 21-year-old kids are the ones that get sacrificed for it. Alex, phenomenal call. In fact, the first two calls we've taken today on this show, maybe the best two calls we've, we've taken on this show in the six weeks we've been on air, both of them well thought out. That's what we want. And we will continue to take your calls. I know I'm a little bit over, so Nate, hang with me. I know you're calling from Baltimore. I'm sorry. Hang with me for a couple of minutes. I will get you on the other side. 615-737-1045. A lot of good points made in that last call. I'll address some of them coming up. Big Six, we continue to talk about this Maryland situation and what's really to blame and how much responsibility we should take as a sports viewing public. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. Glad to have you with us. 615-737-1045. Talking a lot of DJ Durkin in Maryland and responsibility on our side as well for the culture that existed at Maryland. Maybe not going as far, obviously, with the Jordan McNair situation. And we've had a couple of really good phone calls, and I really want to address what Alex said before the break. But let's get to Nate. He's been waiting so patiently. Nate is in Baltimore, and he's calling us tonight. Nate, how are you? Hey, brother. I'm doing well. How about you? Doing good, bud. Cool, man. Great topic. Awesome show. I'm really glad you're having this topic tonight. Um, and I agree with you. These first two calls were amazing. Uh, I really like Ricky's take on it from West End. That was a really excellent angle. Um, for me, this conversation really goes back maybe 10 years ago, I guess it happened, um, where you had, I don't remember the, the circumstances around it, but you had um, the Oklahoma State football coach, uh, Mike Gundy, mm-hmm. who was actually defending one of his players to the media and, you know, basically was saying, you know, put this on me, you know, write about me, talk about me, but don't you talk about this, you know, 19, 20-year-old quarterback because he's just a kid. You know, I'm a man. I'll take it. I'm 40. And when yeah. I, yeah, I'm 40. And uh, I remember when I heard that, I was like, here's a guy who gets it. You know, I, I, I applauded him mentally. I was like, this Finally, someone had the guts to say it, and I was expecting the nation to say the same thing. And instead, like the guy got thrown underneath the bus and uh, became a laughing stock. And I was I was stunned that he was a laughing stock for standing up for one of his players. Um, and to me, that's when this, this whole thing kind of traces back to that. It was uh, not just a kid being placed under scrutiny, but it was also uh, you know a coach that dared to take a stand to defend or care about his players uh, was treated as a laughing stock. And that's kind of my comment on it. I appreciate it. Another good call there. 
Um, I want to talk about what Alex said in particular. If you remember when we were talking about the Urban Meyer thing over the last few weeks, I recounted a story to you. A friend of mine is Jeff Schwartz, who played in the NFL for eight years on the offensive line and now is in the media. And I was hosting a, uh, a nationally syndicated show for Fox a couple of weeks back. And we were talking about the Meyer situation, and he mentioned and recounted a story that leads me to get to what Alex talked about. He said that he talked to one of his former teammates and a friend of his that had played under Urban Meyer at Utah. And Jeff asked him, did you see this Urban Meyer in Salt Lake City? And the player responded, no, not this this guy that, that we're hearing about at Ohio State and some of the stories that came out in Florida. We never heard any of that stuff. We never saw that guy at all. Urban Meyer was a class act in Utah. Loved playing for him. And at first, that was just, it felt like, eh, maybe. But he was probably always a jerk. Now, maybe he just hit it better. But let's talk about pressure as it relates to Urban Meyer and then overall to Alex's point that a lot of Durkin and the Durkin-ish culture comes from this desire to win and the money that comes with it. Urban Meyer felt no pressure at Utah. None. Because it was Utah. If he wins six or seven games at Utah... Nobody's going to care all that much. Now, there might be some fans that want to win eight or nine, but it's Utah. He got the job at Florida because of how good he was at Utah. If he can win at Utah, what can he do if we give him the resources of Gainesville? I mean, look at Chris Peterson and how long he stayed at Boise State. But then once he got a chance and he finally did jump and go to Washington, I mean, everybody wanted Chris Peterson. Look at Mark Few at Gonzaga and how many people would love to have him leave Gonzaga, but Mark Few has been smart enough to know I can just be an icon at Gonzaga forever. There's no real pressure to win at Gonzaga. They expect you're going to win 25 games a year now, and he does it relentlessly because he's great. But Urban Meyer gets to Gainesville, and then everything changes because if you don't win 10 games at Florida, uh, they're going to come for you. They're going to burn effigies of you in the quad. Pressure that didn't exist at Salt Lake all of a sudden existed a 1,000% at Florida. And he leaves Florida for whatever reason he left Florida. Certainly some skullduggery surrounding it. And I didn't buy the reasoning. Neither did you. And then he goes to Ohio State. Is there a bigger pressure cooker maybe outside of Tuscaloosa than Columbus, Ohio? When it comes to football, maybe you'd say Ann Arbor. Maybe there's a few of you that would mention a few other schools. But you're not going far before you get to Ohio State. Urban Meyer went from no pressure to a whole lot of pressure. So the story that Jeff's friend and former teammate that played under Urban Meyer at Utah, that statement made a ton of sense. And it makes a lot of sense based on what Alex was talking about in terms of the pressure. Now, I will say this. Money is power. These are one and the same. What do you do with money? Well, you use it basically, or if you have enough of it, then you're not a slave to it. And that really is one thing that needs to be brought up here, is that having money is power because you then are not under the control of money. When you get enough money to be able to 
own whatever you want, do whatever you want, say whatever you want, because you're going to be taken care of when you're not living paycheck to paycheck, when you're not worried about checking your bank statements every week, that is a level of power and authority that will drive people to do anything. There is a reason why people say money is the root of all evil. Because in many respects, it is. The desire for it, the clamor for it, the backfighting for it, the way that you'll step on somebody's face in order to get a $5 bill. Like there are, there are many examples of how money corrupts people. But I do believe that money and power are generally one and the same. But the overarching point here, for whatever reason, the reason why we have deified these college football coaches, and that's my argument for my piece at the Big Six blog at 1045thezone.com, is that we have given these coaches so much authority. But the reason we've done it is because we want them to win football games for the schools that we love. We want them to win. So I still think it goes back to the fans because of that very thing. Them winning games wouldn't matter if it didn't matter so much to us. But it does. Boy, does it ever in Columbus. Idiots in jean shorts with signs berating ESPN who didn't even break the story that they were angry about. Taking shots at Paul Feinbaum and misspelling his name with Crayola markers. Like all of the stuff that we've seen. And the full-throated defenses of awful situations with no knowledge of anything that's going on by these fans that then go after the messengers, which is why, again, anonymous sources must exist in order to get stories out there. The reason that coaches have the power, the reason that they're paid $7.5 million or $8 million or $5 million or whatever it is a year is because they win football games and that fan base which is that consumer base, the one that opens their wallets and buys tickets and buys T-shirts and buys replica helmets and goes to autograph signings for these coaches or whatever it might be because they open their wallets for more wins. The wins is what matters to the fans. So we'll turn a blind eye to whatever we need to as long as we're still beating Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, whoever it is. If we're in the Big Ten, for example, that's where the deification started. All these guys are that we're not is guys that are better football coaches than we are and can win more games. But for some reason, winning football games in this country has become so important that we will leave our morality at the door. 615-737-1045. Dale, hang with us. We'll get you in the final segment. Be right back. 104.5 The Zone. Mike Keith here with... Anytime this comes on, I've got to let it play. Sturgill Simpson. Woo. What an amazing solo. It's a big six final segment on this Wednesday. Driving you home here on 104.5 The Zone. Stick around. Global Golf Radio coming up. Then the Neutral Zone. Two of my favorite shows. Back to back. We've been talking all about Maryland and all about college football coaches and the deification of them by us that have led to the kinds of things we have seen in the news in the past several years and even in the past handful of months. Two major names placed on administrative leave. The latest, of course, DJ Durkin 
and the situation at the University of Maryland. 615-737-1045. Let's take Dale in Nashville. Dale, good evening. Hey, Jason. Um, I was talk- looking at the weight of these players that uh, was mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about the NFL and the issue they have with concussions. And you take the weight of a lineman uh, like the, the Dallas Cowboys when they had like Randy White at Tutal Jones and those guys. Right. You're looking at probably a hundred pounds difference, and all this this idea of force feeding these these players and getting them to be so big. I wonder if they ought to look at like capping weight, you know, uh, for overall health. You got this this unfortunate situation with this college player who actually uh, passed away, and then you got the concussion issue in the NFL. And then I was going to hit the other topic of the money uh, with these coaches. You had that player mentioning uh, Urban Meyer was not recognizable to him as who he was at Utah versus who he is at at Ohio State. Well, I've talked to my kids, you know, and I've told them to be very leery of big money. You know, live on what you need, be comfortable, be happy. But because in my life, what I've witnessed is it doesn't matter what it is. It could be songwriting. It could be coaching football. You get into it for the right reasons. But once that, that carrot of big money is laid out there for you to do that same thing, Something changes, and the type of person it takes to keep it about the kids or keep it about the music, the type of person it takes to keep it that way, I think is very um, few and far between, unfortunately. And I'll listen off off air here. I appreciate it, Dale, and I appreciate you waiting through the break to say that. It is written, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. Money is a necessary evil. But if it is your driving force for more than providing for your family, it can lead you down some dark paths. The idea to win football games and how important that that can become to these guys who I already believe in many cases become narcissists because of the deification of the fan bases that idolize them and care more about the football program than they do anything else in the community. That need to win takes over and it can corrupt your soul. And it's a sad state of affairs. The issue on the weight and and things like that, I think it might be something worth exploring. I don't know that enough people have talked about that side of it. But I do find that to be utterly fascinating and maybe something we'll continue to address. This story is not going away. We're not done talking about it. We will continue to talk about it uh, as we move forward. But I want to shift gears on the way out the door. And increasingly when I turn on ESPN, I'm seeing someone on my television that sort of went away from sports years ago. And then he came and then he came back. And then he started issuing threats. Now the big six asks, why is this a thing? I'm actually glad that that interrupted me. He started issuing threats and he started using horrific language on social media, acting like a lunatic. But he had gone away from sports after many years doing sports. Now he's back doing sports. So I turn on ESPN Monday night and I see Yankees Mets. On the call for this game in the booth is that vaunted broadcast in-game expert, Keith Olbermann. Look, Olbermann's got a lot of talent. Great broadcaster. 
he and Dan Patrick helped make ESPN with the big show. Keith was a veteran from CNN and local TV. He's a smart dude, which believe me, he'll tell you anytime you want to know. He's a talented guy, and he's also a jerk. Ask anybody who's ever worked with him or read anybody's description of his time anywhere he's ever been. Uber sensitive, uber elitist, and yes, he's uber liberal, but that's not really the point here. Back a few years ago when ESPN can Kurt Schilling, many go up in arms at the double standard of forcing a conservative out, keeping liberals in. I actually disagreed then, and I still disagree. Schilling was told explicitly not to say the kinds of things he was saying, that it was causing problems, and his bosses said enough of this. And he didn't. He ramped up his rhetoric, he called their bluff, and then they laid their cards down on the river and they had the nuts, and he was done for. Whether you agree with what Schilling was saying or not, he was asked by his employer not to do it, and he did it anyway. That's the way you get yourself fired. Kurt Schilling was just another baseball analyst of many, just another, another former player of many on the network. He didn't stand out. He was good, but he was by no means indispensable. So I understood what ESPN did. Then Jamel Hill popped off about Trump and suggested boycotts, and I thought similarly about her as I did about Kurt. But at least at first, she hadn't been asked not to do it. So until she was, it wasn't the same situation. I didn't find her indispensable either. And there's no question that ABC, ESPN, Disney does slant left. That's no giant bombshell. But it was asking for trouble from part of their audience. Letting her go would have opened up a huge can of worms for them. And I could see, even though I disagreed to some extent, why they acted like they did. But in 2018, what rating point does Olbermann bring you when he fills in on PTI or is on SportsCenter or calls a baseball game badly? He's polarizing because of what he's had to say since the last election, but it dates way before that. He's talented, yes, but so are plenty of other people at ESPN that don't have his baggage. Why is he on ESPN? Why is that a thing? How is that a thing in 2018? What's the purpose here? It seems like the potential problems dwarf any positives that could come from him working there and appearing on TV. When a large portion of the audience has moved away from your network because they believe their own politics are not being represented, when Get Up Tanks and High Noon, which I actually like a lot, gets moved into the afternoon and its runtime gets cut in half within a couple of months of being on the air, seems like you might want to start mitigating some of this vitriol or supposed bias. When you put Olbermann on TV, whether it's fair or not when he's talking about sports, which he's very good at, it is impossible not to think of what else he's done over the past 15 years, and certainly what he's said over the past three. There's no real reason to put him out there. He's not some giant celebrity. He's kind of a relic, and now he's a troubled relic with baggage. So I ask you, why is this a thing? It is time to go with KO at ESPN. Let's make you smarter on the way out the door. AFC South smarts for you. Houston Texans. How about Deshaun Watson? Some think the league's going to catch up to him. I don't. I'm on record. He's special. Should have been the first pick in the draft. Said it then. We'll say it now. Last year, Deshaun Watson threw 19 touchdown passes before his injury. 19 touchdown passes in his first seven games. You know what the record is for touchdown passes through a quarterback's first seven NFL games? Uh, That would be 19. Deshaun Watson holds the record. Alone. No one else has ever done it. That dude is really good, folks. Global Golf Radio is next. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night.